you either born female or male. This transgender thing is devilish and should be discouraged in the strongest terms. Now, I guess this is exactly what we are getting at this morning. I think, um, you know, having that kind of point of view is entirely normal. I think that um, when you start out on any journey to discover how things work, um, then that, that is, there's nothing wrong with having that point of view. That's, that allows us to then engage. Mm. I think what's important here is, is in, in, in what the person is trying to say and, and is that I was, you know, when, when you look, you can go through all the studies you want. I mean, MIT, top university in the world for, you know, um, did a study, there's studies going on all over the world that, um, that they, you know, they, they, they need to obviously corroborate the, the findings, but they, they basically, along with a lot of other studies, have, have gone down the route of proving that, the male, that a female brain can be born inside a male body from a, from, a, from a chromosome point of view. Now, regardless of all of that, you can do all the studies you want. Ultimately, what it comes down to is that it exists. It's not something that's, that's evil. You know, people often say to me, you know, you're going to go to hell and God's going to punish you. And I say to them, well, you know what? If that is the case and I stand before God one day and that is the case, I take full responsibility for my decisions. But ultimately, you know, I, I see from the, re- you know, the response I've got from my family and friends and, and, and the support I've got and the love that's been shown, that's, that's my, my interpretation of the manifestation of what I, I believe God is. I'm a spiritual person 100%. Um, but I think, you know, to go back to what the person was saying is that um, when, you, when you look at anything in life and, you've grown, and you're going to take the decision to say that it's evil and, and, and devilish, you need to ask the person who's actually living through this experience how they feel. And it's a bit like, you know, if you've never eaten a specific type of hamburger at a specific restaurant, I can tell you what it tastes like, but until you eat it yourself, you'll never know. Transgenderism exists. I can tell you I've lived in it for 42 years. It's a horrible place to exist. It's, you know, you, you live in constant fear of being found out, bullied, attacked, um, and, and it's not a pleasant place at all. The incongruence in your head is just, it's, it's very difficult to describe to somebody, but, but, but you know, at the end of the day, um, if somebody's going to feel that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's evil and devilish, I, I, would, I would just ask them to take the time to actually go and meet somebody who's transgender, sit down and talk to them in, in an open, understanding way and see what they feel. Look, at the end of the day, if you still feel that way at the end of the conversation, then you have every right to feel it. Um, however, it's just a manifestation of that, that. That is my major concern. And you asked earlier about how transgender people exist in South Africa. Well, this is exactly where the problem starts, is that somebody has a negative perception, which they're entitled to their opinion. I'm not saying the person is wrong in what they're saying. However, it's what they do with that perception. Do they then go out and beat up transgender people? Do they then go out and, and attack or chastise? Do they then, you know, those things are where, where the problem becomes a real, real issue. Having a point of view is one thing. That allows us to engage. But, but crucially, it's, it's, it's what you do with that point of view. Mm. And that's why I'm happy about this morning's discussion, Amber, because I think it allows us to engage, as you said, on these particular issues and, and, and also to get people's views out there because if they don't tell us what it is that they are thinking, we can't engage on it and um, then we are unable to maybe change uh, the thinking or the wrong perceptions that may exist. Uh, some really interesting questions coming through. Here's one from uh, Tswarela Ngube who asks, um, for 42 years uh, you lived as a man what made you change did you have kids were you married before um well i just want to clarify something um i was in a man's body for 42 years but i've always been a woman <laughs> you know it's a I, it's a simple analogy you know if you 
If you see a car driving by every day and it has a certain person driving it, you identify that person with a the car they drive. So you say, there goes Bob or there goes Tracy. Um, when, you know, inside the car, I've always been there. The voice, the soul, the eyes, that's me. The body that you've seen is just a misrepresentation of who I am. So now I've parked that rental car in the car park and I've gone and gone into my own car. So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's fundamentally understanding what that is. I, I haven't been a man for 42 years. I've been living, unfortunately, in a man's body, which if I can tell people, imagine, imagine waking up every morning and um, you have the worst fitting pair of jeans on, buttons are out there. You've got a shirt on that doesn't fit, buttons missing, ketchup on it. You've got one sock on, one shoe on. Your hair's a mess and you can't change it. And you get up every single day and you go out like that. That's what being transgender is like for me. It's a prison you live in daily. And the fact that I was given the opportunity to allow, you know, to have the surgery is a blessing beyond my understanding. I mean, it's not something I ever expected. Um, I came out publicly with the intention of, you know, going through hormone therapy. And I came out with the main intention of telling the truth. Um, I think that when you live through what you've lived through, what I've lived through, I'll give you the, the, just a basic timeline. You know, at five, I, I knew I was different. Uh, I went to boarding school. The, it's a fear-based reaction. You hide yourself because you're scared of being bullied. Best place to hide yourself, play sport and be good at it. Because in this country, if you're good at sport, nobody notices you and they actually look up to you. Um, and, and you know, that, that's it's the first act of choice you make to hide yourself, which is a lie. That lie leads to self-loathing because you start believing that you're a liar. Nobody knows who you truly are. It leads to a lot of anger, my mother will tell you. You know, you're angry with people because you're doing everything they want in this body that you don't want to be what they want you to be. But the moment you want to do something for yourself, you can't do it. So that manifests in anger. You know, the, the self-loathing leads to, to very, very deep states of depression, which ultimately lead to suicide. And the suicide rate in young transgender people is up around 40%. So, you know, for me, trust me, I've been there more than once. Um, thankfully, never successful. Um, very lucky on two occasions. But... But I can tell you that it's a very, very horrible process to go through. And at no point is this, is this ever a choice. If I could go back in time... Mm. Okay. Conformant to society's norms. We're talking about the stigma, the challenges, and our understanding as South Africans of transgender people and the issues that they face on a daily basis. So um, just before the break, uh, we were still talking there, um, Amber, and you were talking about wanting to commit suicide, um, I guess, as a result of all the... Um, frustration and uh, the myriad of emotion that you must have gone through yes Akita, you know it's 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 a result that's it's normally brought about by ultimately frustration um self-loathing is a big one because you look at yourself in the mirror and you you don't see a way out and it's also the you know the, the how trapped you feel in that situation you at the point when i was a kid you know to even think about talking to somebody was crazy and when I did mention it to one particular person I was laughed at so you know it's it it ultimately does lead to that and I'm very very thankful for whatever reason I've been kept alive um that on you know on more than one occasion I attempted once was more cry for help when I was quite young but the second time was planned I was 100% sure and 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 it wasn't out of depression actually it was more out of disappointment you know that I look around me and I see everybody else looks fairly normal and yet I've, I've, I've got this, you know, ridiculous situation going on in my head. And, you know, being the age that I'm at now, looking back, I mean, one of the benefits I've had is I've asked all the questions. You know, was I, do I hate myself? Was I abused as a child? Do I not like the life I've lived? 
It all comes down to one very simple thing. You know, you close your eyes and ask yourself, who am I? And to destroy that um, is the only option. You know, you're left with only one way out because you can't be who you are. Mm, uh, so many questions, but let's speak to Tish, uh, who's calling us from Wits University on the number 0891104208. Good morning, Tish. Good morning, and thank you uh, for this opportunity. Um, it's lovely to, to be a part of uh, you know, the show today. Um, the comment that I'd like to raise is, uh, firstly, this. I think it's amazing that you are um, covering trans issues today. I just want to speak uh, a bit from my context. I support people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, asexual, queer, or otherwise identified in a program at our university called Safe Zones at Wits, which offers support through training people to understand LGBTIQ plus civic issues and giving them basic counseling training. And from that perspective, I want to say that we see a lot of trans people coming to uh, the allies that we've trained at Wits University. Um, and what struck me as, as being so relevant from what uh, you've been saying, Amber, is you know the idea of the pathologization of, of being transgender. Um, I think that this is such a crucial area that we need to address and um, I think that holistic interventions are, are so important and I hope that we see these continuing not only in the higher education sector but in other spaces as well. It's so hard I think to find um, you know, supportive and understanding medical professionals across the field as well. So it's, it's my perspective that um, there is a lot of work still to be done. but. Um, that we have to, um, you know, start by countering this this um, concept that being trans is is somewhat an illness and and that we need to pathologize. Mm, absolutely, uh, Tish. So much, uh, thank you so much for uh, calling in this morning, uh, Tish. Calling from Wits University and. Amber, in your transition, how important was that support structure? I mean, you spoke about your mom, your family, but um, outside of that um, family setup, what sort of support did you receive? Um, can I first, first just say, awesome, Tish, what you're doing is incredible, and there should be more people like you on the ground. I really, really cannot voice my, my thanks for what you're doing. Um, and what you said is incredibly pertinent. Um, with regards to the support process, you know, um, like I said, I've been incredibly blessed. And more and more people I speak to who, who are trans are getting support from their families. You know, my mom, like us in South Africa, came from a very structured and religious background. Um, and, you know, for her to accept the, me as I am has been quite a profound experience. And sitting in the car outside, I'll just sum it up like this. I mean, sitting in the car outside waiting to come in to, to chat to you today. You know, she said that people often ask her, like, isn't it difficult for you and how is it? And she turns around and says to them, not at all. Isn't it amazing that a human being can go through this? And I'm sharing in this, and it's quite incredible. You know, and her attitude has then, you know, transcended across to, excuse the word, to, to my friends, my family. You know, the, when I posted the letter on Facebook, um, I expected a few people just to say, well done, congratulations, or we'll support you, and the rest sort of turn away. Mm. I was completely blown away. And, and still to this day, it's a very, very surreal place to live. From the first comment, which was a friend of mine, Katrina, who said, woohoo, <laughs> down to getting emails from pediatricians in, in Australia saying, wow, well, you know, you don't know how much courage you have and what it's, what it's done for kids that I look after. I mean, I, I was, I still, you know, <laughs> trying to absorb that because it's just the truth ultimately. So the support mechanism is crucial. Family is number one in this process. And, and while I also appreciate that 
you know, um, having an open mind is important. Where the, where the family structure is, is, is sort of needs to be looked at, put it this way, is where you have in different religions or different moral structures or different societies, um, accepting something sometimes infringes on your rights as a human being or your moral beliefs or your, mm. your religious beliefs. So there's a balance that needs to be struck. But the family support is crucial. It is, it's, it's what's made the difference to me. I can tell you that um, I often get told by people, aren't you worried about walking around the street? Somebody going to come and attack you? Somebody come and hurt you? And, and while I'm not, you know, I keep myself at, at, at a low risk exposure level, um, I, I'm also acutely aware that I can't live in fear walking around of other people that want to hurt me. You know, it's, you, you have to stand up some, at some point. Mm. But there's a balance, like I said, you know, and, and the family support is crucial. Let me read a few more messages. Uh, Sane Sehaye says, uh, human nature tends to repel and to be critical of that which we don't comprehend. So your bravery uh, to publicly acknowledge your identity is applauded. And then Babazile uh, Mutwa says, SK, a fellow tweeter um, asked yesterday, does dating a transgender person make you gay? <laughs> That's a very, very interesting f- uh, question. And to the first, to the first person, um, sorry, what was the first person's name? Uh, Sane. Sane, thank you very much. There was, you know, we need, we need more people like you on the planet as well. Um, the, if you're dating somebody who's transgender, you're dating them. Um, I'm a woman. That's as simple as it is. If somebody, if I meet somebody um, and appreciate, you know. It's, you have to be. I think he has. He has an issue that, that needs to be addressed as well. If you're trans and you go and you meet somebody, and you've transitioned like I have, and you don't inform the person, and they're not from your circle of friends or from people that know who you are, you are, in my opinion, being dishonest. I think you need to let the person know. But then that's not for me to say. Everybody's case is different. Mm. So I do think you know when you. But when you're dating somebody who's trying, because appreciate you transgender until the, until the moment you transition. You know, the, the transition happens. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. Um, I would I continue to identify with transgenderism and being transgender because this is the process I'm actually still going through in, this, in mm. essence. I only had my surgery four weeks ago. So, so, so when, uh, uh, during the transgender phase, um, your dating life, uh, and I'm assuming that you did date, um, what was that like? And, and as you said, you know, the upfront disclosure, what was that like? And, and, and how did it impact on that part of your life? Well, up until about two, just over two years ago, um, I'd been in constantly in long-term relationships um, with girls from the age of 16, 17. Um, and interestingly enough, when I went to see, a th- see the therapist and the psychiatrist that, that I had to see through the process to allow myself to get access to hormones, um, one of the points that was raised was, do you realize that you might be living vicariously through these people? That you live close enough to a woman so that you can share in their life, go shopping with them, watch them get dressed and such, etc. And you know, during the, live their life because you can't do that. Now, I've never looked at that at that way. Um, you know, there's a certain level of attraction you have for a human being. So, it, it, as far as dating goes, every single one of my relationships has failed. <laughs> so, um, and living as you know, in, in the man, in a man's body, that's possibly why. And I chose partly through circumstance, partly through through respect to my transition to stay single and celibate for the entire process from two years ago um, when I started hormones. Um, I recently did meet somebody, not, not taking that any further at the moment, but, um, but I, think, I think ultimately it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something now, you know, when I started my transition, had I met somebody during that period, I certainly would have made it clear to them. You know, I did get messages on Facebook occasionally like, hey, how are you? Mm. I would say to people, um, have you looked at my profile? 
think you need to have a look and see who you're talking to because the comments were, were aimed definitely at somebody they thought was 100% female, you know, and, and um, which, mm-hmm. is, which is where I am now. So, so yeah, I think the honesty is crucial. And the ladies that you dated, I mean, now that you've transitioned, have you been in contact with them? Is this something that ever came up? Has any of them contacted you? Is there any anger, some betrayal, any of that? Um, I, I have um, been in contact with, my, well, I've been married, let me start at the beginning. I've been married twice. Um, once to a girl from Sweden who I studied with, and we were together five years and then married to somebody I was with for nine years. Um, in all the cases in all my relationships um, and it's and bear in mind some people you know, associate transgenderism with, with being promiscuous and it, it's not the case at all I mean you know it's, you still have a certain amount of self-respect for, yourself, for, for who you are but in the relationships that I had um, you know every single one of them asked me and this is something I'm you know, probably admitting for the first time to a lot of people is they asked me they said is there something not right here are you sure you're not gay you know, but they were they were they were aware of something, but they couldn't quite pick up on what it was. So, um, my ex-wife, who who I have a son with, who lives in in Canada, um, I'm in contact with her regularly. Um, I'm in respect to my son as well, and, and going through the transition, there's there's a balance that needs to be struck there. He's only six years old, so there's a certain amount of protection that needs to be involved with him in school and things like that. Um, but yes, I mean, I'd, I haven't had any. To be honest, as again, you know, I, I have not had any negative, real negative feedback from anyone, and that is why this is so surreal. Because I expected, I mean, I, I have had verbal abuse in Joburg in the streets and in pick and pay and things like that. But um, but you know, it's, it's it comes with the territory. It's something you have to be aware of once you make the decision to transition. Mm. You have to be aware that there are certain things that come with it. Now, you speak about uh, the necessary protection from your son, which is understandable. Um, does this mean that you have yet to broach the subject with him? When last did you see him? Um, well, I, I mean, I, sp- I've sp- I speak to him on Skype regularly. Um, last time I saw him was in 2010 when we separated. Um, you know, he was born in Canada. She's Canadian, so they li- that's where they live. Unfortunately, what happened is one day, um, you know, one of the first people I informed after informing my mom was my ex and I said to her, look I'm going to be posting this publicly on Facebook etc etc um, just so you're aware of it I mean, you're one of the first people I'm telling you just out of respect for you and, and, and my son um, and you know obviously she was a little she, she was very very polite about it she said you know as long as you're doing what's right for you and, and what you're doing is making you happy um, where the respect needs to come in is that at the age of five and six years old at school if anybody sees anything which did happen, saw a picture of me on, on the internet or, you know, they then go to school and say, so-and-so's, you know, dad is a girl and, and, get, and the bullying can start. So it's a very, very sort of, how can I put it, dangerous area to force and not force. It's a balance again that needs to be struck. Mm. Okay, let's go back to the lines. John is calling us from King Williamstown. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. Uh, my question is that I wanted to find out from the guest uh, the difference between feeling like a woman or looking like a woman. Okay, John, hold the line there. Um, Amber? Hi, John. Yeah, okay. Um, I think what you're trying to get at is one of the, you know, when, when, when people are discussing uh, being transgender, one of the issues that does come from to clarify is there are very, very different levels, as Tish said earlier, in the sort of gender fluidity or gender identities of people. Mm. 
cross-dresses, I think what, what John might be getting at is cross-dresses. Um, males who dress as females for, put it in a better way, sexual purposes or for, for looking like a woman, but then, it, you know, respect the fact that they're men during their day-to-day lives, go to work, do that kind of thing. That, that terminology, and it's very broad, would be considered being a cross-dresser. Now, there are other levels that fall into that, but I'm being very broad here. Um, being, being somebody who is transgender um, means you are a woman. Dressing and wanting to look like a woman, and then you get drag queens. You know, drag queens are, are people who are very, very flamboyant, incredibly, you know, um, colourful characters, and, and who, who are more artistically represented as, the, you know, when they go out and do shows. Now, I'm sure there's people who are drag queens and people who are cross-dressers out there that are going to tell me that my definition is incorrect. But fundamentally, what I'm trying to get at is, is an, um, that drag queens, cross-dressers, and being transgender are three very different things. Mm. Uh, Damascus wants to know what was the purpose for the surgery ultimately and what did it cost you? Well, you know, I think if you ask any other, any transgender person who is considering the surgery, if they had the opportunity to do it, they would do it. It's the, it's, it's the outside representation of what's going on inside. Um, there's parts of your body that when you see in the mirror and you walk around, they don't, they don't resonate with who you are and obviously make you feel very uncomfortable so the surgery the purpose of the surgery is 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 something that's not an absolute necessity um it does cost a lot of money and this this brings me to a, to a point that i wanted to bring up is, is about medical aid um but the surgery you know the, the surgery does cost quite a lot of money and again i was you know very blessed you know my stepfather sat me down one day and just looked at me and said look i know this is going to cost you a lot of money i'd like to help you pay for it um i Still to this day, I'm incredibly numbed by it. I don't know whether to laugh, cry, or be happy. But I think crucially here is it's it's about identity. You know, I for 42 years was basically given a body I didn't want, and given the opportunity to change that, even though it is through surgery, is um is is, is a massive, massive blessing. And if I you know if I had if I had all the money in the world, I would happily do it for anybody who'd been through the right procedures and come to the right right space that were willing that was willing to do it there are the risks involved massive risks but um but fortunately you know i'm recovering well the medical aid issues again is what's Mm. crucial when you look at the cost involved in south africa again you know when i say to you how blessed i am and that's why i think it's crucial there's a voice out there there's a 24 to 26 year waiting list for surgery in south africa if you if you cannot afford to go private i mean that's that's a lifetime for some people um What's happening in the United States and Canada is that there's been a lot of lobbying and in certain states it's changed where medical aides are paying either fully or, or partially for, for the surgery. And I think what, what's happening in South Africa, and I know there are people that are active on the ground that are doing this with the medical aides in South Africa to try and get them to contribute and, and, and a lot of them are on board. Um, where, where it's important to understand is when you are going through the process of becoming transgender, there were certain guidelines that were set down and they are... You need to live full-time as a woman for three months. You need to wear wigs, dress, notify your employers, do all that. This is the legal requirements. Then you need to go see a psychiatrist and a shrink, two separate people, to analyze you and then allow you to actually go on hormones. An endocrinologist then will prescribe the hormones and then monitor you. Um, what's changed recently, and I'm sorry, I'm, I, am, I am digressing a little bit, but I think this mm. is relevant to the point, is what's changed recently in, in countries in Denmark, and you would think that Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, you know, Scandinavian countries would be some of the forward-thinking countries. They, you know, they made it mandatory to, to have 
physical surgery before you could change your ID. In South Africa, you can change your ID when you start hormones because of the cost involved, and that's very forward-thinking. So you can identify as the gender that you are. But more importantly is when you look at, uh, you know, for example, if somebody has cancer and they're going to get treatment for cancer to prolong their life, um, I would certainly not stand against that in any way. The, the process that currently happens with transgenderism is that you need to then effectively be diagnosed, which means that there's something wrong with you, um, which means that you're ill. And, and a diagnosis is not something that is associated with anything positive. Um, what is, has happened, though, in, in Denmark recently, not that long ago, I think six to eight months ago, they changed the law mm. where you could self, self-diagnose effectively. You had to be 18 before you could start hormones, and you had to wait six months once you made that decision to go on board. Now, while I think that's very progressive, I think the other side needs to be taken into account. I think there have to be professionals involved. I think people people know who they are, but I don't think they need to be diagnosed. I think they need to, you know, need to have support on the ground, and, and the medical aid, part of that, is so, so crucial, because if you're going to prolong somebody's life, like I said, from, from cancer, why not give them the opportunity to live, live the life they want to live in the body that they've longed for? All right, uh, let's go back to the line. Suddenly, uh, they're lighting up. Uh, Papillon and Eldorado Park, good morning. Hello, how are you? Good, and you? Wonderful. You know, I'd just like to comment concerning that. Um, first of all, I'd like to ask you, uh, the, the one whom you represent, what religion is he? Because, firstly, if he's a Christian or of the Hebrew uh, uh, religion, I know in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 30. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 30, whereby it states, if a man sleeps with another man, the way he's supposed to sleep with a woman, it's an abomination in the sight of Yahweh, and they are both to be stoned to death. I would request him to, you know, to not follow human deception, because the very Mr. Desmond Tutu, he is for you people. Knowing very well, the Bible says, what I just said now in Leviticus chapter 20. You are to be held responsible. Not your pastor, not your friend, but you yourself. Take care, you must keep in mind. Destruction, atheism, that is yours. All game at present, but you are all going to regret it. And that I will warn you. And I promise you, I did not cut him off. Uh, Papillon in Eldorado Park. Yabingwa in Kualanga, good morning. Good morning, you know. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, I was just thinking, I mean, uh, there's a saying that says, uh, a, a, a rose by any other name remains a rose. You know, and uh, it, it brings me to question. Maybe we should uh, uh, get a new definition of what is it to be a woman, you know? Uh, I, I mean, I remember... Uh, uh, when Kastor Semenya first won the, the, the World Championships, there was a question about uh, is she a woman, is she a man, and you know, uh, I, I think this uh, throws another spanner in the works, basically. Because, I mean, what is it that makes one a woman, you know? And uh, as, as, as people who are here on Earth, well, what is what is our purpose here? Why are we here? You know, uh, on this earth, you know, I mean, if I if I can just decide tomorrow, no, I I, I don't want to be a man anymore. You know, uh, I'll rather be a, you know, whatever. I, I think, you know, these are the questions that I'm having in my mind. You know, I'm 
and uh, so far the show has not has not been able to help me out for this. All right. Thank yeah. you so much, Yabingwa. Uh, Patrick in Johannesburg. Hello, Sakina. How are you? Well, and you? Yeah, thanks to take my call. You see, there's an issue for transgender. Well, my point is, you, I think it's like you shouting God. Well, God made you whatever you are. You made me be a man, but you want to change to be a man. My question to you, is he going to do uh, something like mental cycle or what? Well, if you are a man, God gives you that thing. And are they going to cut him to remove that one to, 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 to be a leg or what? All right, uh, that's Patrick in Johannesburg. Well, um, Amber? So, you know, I'm going to just go back to Papi originally. Um, you know, he asked what religion I am. Um, I'm a spiritual person. I believe 100% in God. In God. Um, I'm not disrespectful enough to, to attach myself to any particular religion for one very simple reason. Religion is a man-made construct. And while I respect it and it does a lot of good in society, anything that's man-made is, it has its flaws. Um, I think faith and spirituality are personal. I think you don't need to prove it to anybody. Um, and like I said at the very beginning, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. And when I do and if I do ever stand before God, um, I'll take responsibility for my life and my decisions. I think um, the issue of, you know, men lying with men and women, um, you know, I'm a woman. So whoever I am with, you know, it's, that, that ultimately is my responsibility. And, and again, I, also, I shall take responsibility for, for who I'm with. And no disrespect meant to puppy. Um, I, you know, I think it's great that you're, you're you know, strong and founded in your, in your beliefs. Um, you know, the, the second thing was um, that, uh, I think it was Yosingwa? Yabingwa, yes. Yabingwa, sorry, my apologies for my, my handwriting. Um, you know, when asked, when in, in, in what he was saying, he was saying is that, you know, I'll make this decision to be a man one day or a woman the next day. There's no decision involved in this process, and that needs to be made clear. Um, the only decision that you make is to start hormone therapy or to do something about it in order to come in line with the incongruence and the dysphoria that exists in your body and your mind. Um, it's not like you wake up one morning and you go, okay, well, today I feel like being a chicken and tomorrow I want to be a hamster. You know, you, you're born a specific way and, and this is where the problem comes in. A silly example, I think it was in the 1980, 1910s, 1920s, when pink was actually a boy's colour and uh, blue was considered for girls. So, because pink was a strong colour. I know, and the reason why I'm using that example is we have so many binary exist, you know, places in existence and, and for, for people that don't know what binary is, it's a one and a zero that you use in computer language. So, you know, binary, boy, girl. And that's all we're taught to believe. But there are many, many other layers to it. And mm. I think that's what needs to be explored. Well, unfortunately, Amber, that's where we're going to have to leave it this morning. Let me just, uh, you know, end it with a few messages. Uh, Luando Tamane uh, says, isn't this the same thing as peeps who bleach their skin, changing their original self to be some fake person? Max Naidu says, uh, what I don't get is why do some think that they have a right to object? Maybe someone will explain. And Vukile Tluati says, society uh, think that people owe us explanations about who they are. And sometimes we don't have to understand just accept let's respect uh, we go on rants about transgender people do we have any idea how it affects them before we cast aspersions and prejudices that